Uh, hi guys, Russell here. Uh, I thought I'd do a quick update on private equity. Um, I wrote a note sort of analyzing Blackstone, which is sort of meant to be a sort of a big overarching uh, view on, on private equity. And you know, one of the things that you know I highlighted right from the beginning was that you know for me, uh, my structural view of a pro labor world of higher interest rates should be profoundly negative for a business like Blackstone or private equity in general. And yet what I've seen or what we've seen from results is that AUM has continued to rise uh, for Blackstone despite you know, uh, investors being able to get you know, 5.5% from the Fed fund rate. So this has been a bit of a surprise to me. You know, and so I went and, went and looked at uh, Blackstone more carefully. And you know, one of the areas, definite problem areas for Blackstone is its Blackstone REIT business. Uh, which is sort of a private REIT. Um, and, you know, there were big redemption requests from it. They've sort of gated investors. They only allow 5% of NAV to be redeemed in any sort of one period. Uh, and then my friend and subscriber, George Adcock, uh, passed me on some you know, interesting uh, offer from, you know, a, a small fund, I believe. And it's only for $15 million, but they're, they're willing to uh, pay out investors immediately if they're willing to take a sort of 38 uh, or 37% discount, 38% discount uh, to the disclosed net asset value of the Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust, um, which I thought was quite you know, interesting. Uh, is that the right valuation for, for where it should be? And this raises a number of issues that have been addressed by other people who've written into to me. Um, and George... Uh, also, you know, pointing me in the direction of a substack written by a Warden Capital. And what he goes in this this post, which is linked here, goes into a lot of detail on a, a four dollar a four billion dollar investment done by the University of California uh, at the beginning of this year, probably at the height of redemption worries uh, for the B REIT. Um, and what was interesting is that this uh, this investment by the University of California. Uh, we've got a lot, a lot better terms than a lot of other investors. Uh, it's namely a guaranteed return, as far as I can understand, uh, and guaranteed li- liquidity. So the B read is supposed to be permanent, so it's difficult to get your money back, as as we've seen over the last year. But in this case, they are you know going to get their money back, you know, in a six year period, uh, and. It looks like, as far as I can read, and I, I put it in here, Blackstone's guaranteeing that. So what makes Blackstone interesting? And this sort of, for me, explains why we haven't seen a more negative, uh, a sort of more negative uh, AUM number is because they can do deals like this, which, you know, effectively stop them from having to uh, do a fire sale of their assets and grows their AUM, both very positive things for Blackstone. Um, and so that, for me, explains why uh, Blackstone has uh, traded better than expected uh, and the private equity sphere, you know, listed ones are going to be a bit more high quality while well, they've traded better expected, um, you know, for me. Uh, I was also contacted by Rip Mitchell, who is the writer of the Blind Squirrel Macro Substack. Uh, and, you know, what he does there is a really good summary of a lot of the sort of issues that, you know, thinkers have worried about private equity. A, they mark their own work, which would seem like a negative, and you seem to be paying a performance fee or a premium 
for an illiquid asset that's not marked to market, which seems a little bit crazy. And I agree, it does seem a little bit crazy. That being said, uh, having talked to a lot of allocators in my life, I can see why they probably like that. Uh, uh, and what I mean by that is, if you go back to the GFC, you know, uh, in the financial crisis, people needed cash. And when you need cash, so if you've ever managed a fund uh, and you're having a, a proper financial crisis, often what you find is you can't sell what you want. You know, you go, oh, I want to sell this really crappy asset. There's no buyers. So you end up selling what you what you can, which tends to be the high quality stuff where you can find buyers for. And so if you're an allocator of a big fund and suddenly you've got this sort of liquidity event that's causing quality assets to get tanked because you have these four sellers coming to the market, that becomes a career risk for you as a manager of that sort of uh, big endowment because they suddenly go, oh, look, the market is saying that your investment into Google in 2007 or whatever is bad. You're a terrible investor. It actually, you know, they're a great investor. It just happens that the the way liquidity and mark-to-market uh, is set up, it makes you look bad. So I can understand why allocators probably are willing to pay a little bit for the sort of illiquidity that private equity provides. Um, so, you know, for me, I, and, and this is why, again, what sort of University of California investment into BRIT sort of says, there is a sort of semi-structural advantage that private equity or private markets can bring. Um, the other thing that has to be said is that, you know, private equity is also benefiting from a fund flow into private capital, a uh, private credit. A leading firm here, which has got most of its assets in private credit, is Aries. Uh, Aries, for me, was probably like, you know, if you looked at the private equity side of the business, incredibly much worse than Blackstone, uh, to put it, in, you know, put it simply. But they have done a, you know, they've grown their private credit business dramatically. And what we've seen until very, you know, is that the shares were taking out all-time highs very recently. And if you'd gone short in 2022 on these things, you would have gotten, uh, you would be deep underwater. And when, I'm, when, I, when I look at it, you know, and I think about private equity, I think one of the big advantages private equity get, what a lot of people have concerns about, is the sort of carried interest that they get, which is a hugely tax advantage and tax efficient for them. And I must say, when I look at the whole private equity and read all these articles that people have sent me, and thank you for that, I'm reminded a lot of Chinese property developers. Now, you may wonder what the connection is. The connection is a little bit, it's to do with policy support in a way. So if you go back as far as 2011, Evergrande was known in the market to be a company that was courting disaster. They, they had this sort of business model where they would sell properties but guaranteed would buy it back at the same valuation to, to goose sales. And given there were a huge supply of property coming on, everyone was like, Evergrande's a disaster. And it was by far the single, biggest single short in Asia at the time. However, from its lows in 2015... When the government decided that they couldn't let the property market go and they needed to support it, the shares went up 1,600%. So all the shorts in Evergrande from 2015 onwards basically got liquidated uh, and absolutely wiped out. Um, and you know what you could see is that it was hugely volatile until at some point President Xi decided that property was for living, not speculation, and the policy support turned and there's been a fantastic show, it's gone to zero, okay?
what I'm trying to say with private equity is they've got this what seeing you know they have a policy support you know their big tax advantages has still not been attacked I remember Donald Trump was talking about getting rid of it before he got elected president of course once he became president got rid of it and we know it did not actually do anything about uh, private equities and carried interests you know partly and probably because he was more concerned about getting re-elected and private equity you know they're not idiots they know that this is a huge advantage for them both personally and for their businesses they spend a lot of time protecting this uh, tax advantage that they get. And, you know, so when I look at it, I think, you know, the real time to short private equity, there's a lot of problems with private equity, but, you know, if the businesses ever saw AUM shrink or liquidate, they get into big trouble. And but as we've seen this year, just because higher interest rates is not enough cause AUM to fall, but if this tax advantage that they have is taken away, and you can make a very strong case that it needs to be, U.S. doesn't raise enough tax, runs a huge fiscal deficit. The problem is, I think the Republican Party is very much sold on no new taxes. Uh, they don't want to raise taxes in any situation. So I think you need to see the Democrats in control of both houses uh, or some sort of bigger fundamental shift in, in, in the Republicans' attitude towards tax. Um, struck, you know, So if you follow my pro-Labourless, pro-capital thoughts i think this is likely i think this is going to happen the problem is i think you need the democrats to control both houses for such a change uh so yes i think it's going to happen i just don't know when um and that's a thing short selling as the sort of evergrande example shows is often a timing game i'm not sure this is the right time right now but we're talking about politics and politics uh in politics a week is a long time so you know think i can i open my mind to changes here uh, all I would say at the moment is I'd be cautious about showing a list of private equity names uh, because they still have lots of different advantages that they have that they can still use. Hope that made sense. And thank ex- thanks again to everyone who's uh, got in touch with me about uh, BREIT and private equity. I really appreciate it. I hope this makes sense to you. All right, stay safe. We'll talk again soon. Ciao.